For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. In light of the outbreak of coronavirus in our state, Governor Stitt issues a safer-at-home policy. He's calling on vulnerable Oklahomans to shelter in place until April 30th. It suspends visits to nursing homes and long-term care facilities, as well as elective surgeries and minor medical and dental procedures. Finally, non-essential businesses are required to close for 21 days, but only in the counties affected by COVID-19. Neva, what do you think about these policies? Well, I think the policies are wise, and I think that the governor was really uh, taking uh, taking the advice from from the professionals and and those uh, healthcare folks in particular. Uh, his uh, uh, cabinet secretary, uh, Dr. Casey Schramm, kind of leading the charge on that, uh, um, saying that the governor's initiatives would really um, it really gave the healthcare community what they what they needed and and wanted. And you know, really, what these healthcare professionals in in letters directly. To the governor, I think 15, 15 medical organizations earlier in the week, the Hospital Association, State Medical Association, they basically said, you know, if we want to flatten the curve, we've got to get ahead of the curve. So I think these were important steps that the, uh, the governor has taken this week to uh, move that forward. Now, Ryan, do you think this goes far enough? No, I don't think it does. And, you know, I think that it's, um, you know, widely held among the public health community in Oklahoma that, you know, the governor needed to take some stronger action. I mean, you know, frankly, what we really need is is, is national action. You know, these uh, the the virus doesn't respect the state borders, uh, and so what we really need is national action. But in the act, uh, in the absence of national action, what we've seen, especially in parts of the nation that have been hardest hit first, and I say first because it's coming for us. You know, when we look at the the huge numbers that are coming out of the uh, not just New York City but the entire region uh, there that uh, goes you know, beyond cities and states um, that's where we're headed in Oklahoma we can look right now in real time what's happening there and see what's about to happen here but in the absence of national leadership and regional leadership you've got to have a statewide directive 19 counties um, and and assuming that we had, we have to wait until there are positive tests in other counties before you get the same shelter in place order uh, or safer at home order whatever the governor wants to call it uh, just doesn't really uh, respect the way that this virus moves and the fact that it's probably already in all 77 counties I think that the governor himself has even begun to acknowledge that his early idea of community spread not really happening in Oklahoma, uh, that that's been debunked, and he's, he's at least acknowledging that, and that's a, that's a huge step forward. It's a huge step forward what he's doing in these 19 counties, but there needs to be a recognition that absent widespread testing in the state of Oklahoma, we have to assume that this is in all 77 counties and that the time to shelter in place uh, was probably two weeks ago, but certainly it's right now. And you have 15 medical professionals and uh, long-term care professionals have have said, hey, this needs to go further. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and I think I think what Ryan is saying is true to the extent that I mean this is a moving target. I mean we have 15 states, numerous uh, localities across the country that have adop- have adopted measures similar to this uh, shelter-in-place policy that is it, it has uh, begun uh, here in Oklahoma in in the counties uh, that uh, that do have um, that do have positive um, positive tests back. 
but I think some of the some of the directives clearly I think are are expanding out, and I think um, you know wise <laughs> wise uh, uh, folks in all of these counties are going to take some of these measures. Adults over sixty five and those with underlying medical conditions, uh, staying at home, gatherings of ten or more uh, not happening, postponing all elective surgeries, the non essential businesses uh, complying with uh, remaining closed. You know for the for the period of time that. Uh, uh, been outlined, uh, visitors being prohibited to nursing homes and long care facilities and retirement homes. I mean, all of those are significant, but uh, Ryan's right. I mean, we can't uh, diminish the fact that, that we're going to probably on a daily and weekly basis for, uh, for the foreseeable future see additional things uh, being enacted to uh, uh, to address what is uh, this uh, widespread epidemic, uh, pandemic, across not only the nation but around the world. Right. Well, and you know, the one of the things I think to keep in mind, too, is that of the 19 counties that are currently under the governor's order, you know, those cover our, you know, our most populous counties for the most part. I mean, there are some, there are some outliers there. But the areas where we haven't seen numbers uh, or, or positive tests come in are largely in rural areas where even even in metropolitan areas in Oklahoma, our healthcare system is not able to sustain uh, what's coming for us. Um, it's just not. Yeah. You know, we're hearing reports out of New York right now of, of apocalyptic type conditions from physicians that are uh, seeing their hospitals overrun. The places in Oklahoma that are least capable of sustaining that uh, at all are in rural areas. And those are the areas right now, because of low population numbers and uh, a lack of testing, that we're not seeing under these shelter-in-place orders. And those are really the places that we may, we may have the most critical need to try to, uh, to slow the spread. The U.S. Department of Labor is telling states to limit the amount of unemployment information released to the public. The federal government sent an email asking for unemployment insurance claims to be released just once a week and levels to be described in generalities rather than specific numbers. Ryan, what were your thoughts when you heard this? I I think it's bizarre and irresponsible of the federal government to ask states to conceal this type of information. Uh, This is critical information to have a, a full sense of what um, uh, of what the the economic impact of this pandemic uh, has been and will continue to be. Layoffs are one of the best indicators of the strength of future markets. And uh, you know we're already seeing with you know, 3.3 million Americans now applying for unemployment benefits. Those numbers just out today uh, as we're taping on Thursday. And uh, Oklahoma's first-time unemployment claims up 8,800 percent to record levels last week. I mean, that's these numbers are uh, are incredibly troubling uh, and and don't paint a, a good picture moving forward. It's most likely that we're already in the middle of a recession and we're looking at something that we haven't seen maybe for uh, 80 plus years. Uh, in the United States and, and perhaps globally. Uh, so trying to, um, you know, limit information that's going out there. You know, the, the American people right now are facing down a pandemic. Uh, we need all the information we can get. We don't need information withheld, whether it's economic information or health information. That needs to be shared with Americans so that we can begin to make better informed decisions about right now and about moving forward. Neva. Well, I think, I mean, it is clear that that we have an administrator at the Department of Labor who, by all indications, even by by their own words, have uh, have suggested, I mean, one, that that this was a longstanding policy and yet have not been able to produce or give to any of the uh, 
uh, news outlets that have requested that uh, that particular information. So it appears that in an over uh, in an overreaction, maybe in one segment of the Department of Labor, we have we have a circumstance where uh, they have tried to uh, suggest that we should limit these numeric values, like you're saying, Ryan, whether it's 800 percent or whatever the uh, specific number is in a given week, uh, state by state. Uh, that shouldn't happen. And, uh, you know, trying to overreact and trying to basically um, suggest that we're going to help the financial markets not overreact or policymakers not overreact by doing this is ludicrous. So I think everyone needs to get on the same page and, and certainly needs to sort this out very quickly, not only at the national level, but bringing that information back to the local level so everyone is uh, operating uh, basically within the same framework. The state health department is withholding much needed medical supplies pending an audit. According to an email obtained by the Oklahoma, the agency plans to call every hospital to verify data on personal protective equipment or PPEs because of inconsistencies and believed inaccuracies. Neva, does the health department have time for this? I, I, I would think they have their hands uh, more than full with just everything else that's uh, on their plate right now. So it, it, it does it does give pause. I mean, why are we talking about an audit? Uh, why are we not putting in place uh, a mechanism to distribute uh, the necessary uh, supplies uh, in, in an orderly and consistent fashion? And there are certainly ways to do that um, and, and many resources available to do that with that at the discretion, you know, of the state, of the governor. Uh, and I think they need to you know, take a very quick, serious look at this because it's again a systemic problem of not being able to react and and address these you know serious issues in a very timely manner uh, as this continues to be so in flux and changing on an hourly basis. Ryan, well, we're I mean we're seeing healthcare providers, everybody from hospitals to to retail uh, providers that are already rationing PPE. Uh, so that's the, the personal protection, protective equipment that, you know, everything from face masks to, to gowns to shields to gloves, everything that, you know, we, you know, we anticipate that our public health providers have, need to have to be able to protect themselves, their families, and, and us uh, ultimately as patients. You know, that stuff needs to get out the door. If there are hospitals saying that they need this uh, and there are supplies that we can get them, we just need to get it to them. Okay. Um, you know, the, the idea that there's, that there's a holdup here, I think that, that Bruce Dart, the executive director of the Tulsa Health Department, um, in a story that the Oklahoman wrote, when he was asked to respond to this, he said, I have no words. Uh, and I think that that's, that's really the extent of it. There's really no words, there's no excuse for not getting this equipment where it needs to go right now. The, the idea that, that there are inconsistencies, I, I, I can't imagine that those inconsistencies rise to the kind of level that we would think that we're misallocating resources right now. Uh, you know, right now, it's if, if somebody needs them and we've got them, we've got to get them to them, and that, that should be the protocol for the state. All right, Neva, meanwhile, while the state might be a little bit slow, the, the, local, the private organizations, public organizations, the Tulsa Ballet is sewing up masks, the schools are donating PPEs, so although the state might be a little bit slow, other Oklahomans are stepping forward to make sure these hospitals have you know, at least what they can. Well, that's true, but in in uh, this specific instant, instance, talking about this audit that's kind of stalling the distribution of the uh, medical medical supplies and equipment, we're talking about a notification that came from SNS or the Strategic National Stockpile that we've 
we've heard a lot about uh, in recent days, talking about allocations coming down to these uh, to these states, and there seems to be some sort of a breakdown, whether it's a communication breakdown or or whether there are instances of people trying to stockpile uh, in certain facilities, whatever the circumstance. I mean, there are ways to get past all of this and be able to streamline distribution. I mean, even if uh, I mean, even if we take the um, uh, the instance of uh, the National Guard and 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 entities in the military who deal with this around the world on a uh, on a regular basis of being able to distribute, they've got the manpower, they understand uh, wh- what uh, what to do in, in these instances and I think it requires all of these folks to get their heads together and figure out what the problem is and then come up with a solution. Uh, and, and Michael, you know, yeah. I, I was listening to a, to a, a health a public health expert um, just the other day, and they were talking about these these um, volunteer efforts where people were you know, sewing uh, protective masks that they were then uh, contributing or donating, and that you know, while that sentiment is appreciated, what they what this public health expert really said was these things aren't tested. We don't we don't really know how effective they are if they're effective at all. Uh, and while the sentiment's appreciated. Um, the the best thing to do is to to put down your your sewing machine and pick up your phone and call your policymakers and tell them uh, you know tell them that this these are these are priorities and these things need to happen and and frankly to tell uh, the president that he needs to use federal law uh, not just waiting on volunteer corporate volunteerism but to use federal law that's available uh, for wartime footings just like the one that we find ourselves in right now and demand that um, manufacturing facilities begin to produce this equipment, whether it's ventilators or PPE, uh, to, to you know, transition the nation's manufacturing force by force of law into the manufacturing force that we need to fulfill these needs right now. This... Well, and I think, and I think much of that is beginning to happen. I mean, by directive uh, at the national level, and and the reality is uh, the new reality for everyone uh, addressing this nationwide is that we are behind the curve. It is something that we can't just wave the magic wand. There's no quick fix, and and so it is going to be incumbent upon all of these uh, elected folks and policymakers as well as uh, uh, the folks in the in the trenches to be able to work together uh, to you know to do things that even in the instance of uh, using things that might not be preferred but may be a stopgap until something uh, something can be put in place to ensure that uh, that the necessary supplies and equipment are available because uh, I mean we're hearing this changing scenario nationwide now and we're you know we're one of the 50 states uh, that are that are are dealing with this, so I think there's um, I, I think it's important that people keep it in context, and also that there remains this steady focus, um, starting at the national level, of what is it really going to take to address these issues in a systematic fashion. The State Department of Education approves distance learning while keeping school buildings closed. For the rest of the school year, Oklahoma students won't return to the classroom, but instead get their education online over television airwaves and through other distance education methods. Ryan, what do you think of this decision? Yeah, I think that it was um, it was inevitable uh, that we were going to get to this point, and it's it still remains to be seen what distance learning looks like. Um, you know, everything from there are going to be you know distinctions between grade levels. Uh, you know, maybe that means uh, folks being able to tune into OETA, and oh my gosh, thank goodness for public television 
uh, and the ability to distribute, uh, you know, what they're already in the business of, of distributing educational programming. And so to be able to turn that into part of the distance learning uh, curriculum is going to be incredibly important. Um, you know, thinking about ways to bridge uh, both poverty gaps and uh, broadband access gaps that we see across the state. So the uh, accessibility for students in a metropolitan area are going to be very different than students in a, in a rural area. And so that's, <clears throat> those are a lot of the, the challenges. I think it's going to look uh, uh, the real patchwork system. Uh, still waiting on the State Department of Education to, to give some more clear guidelines there. But if, you know, they said that their top priority right now is to make sure that seniors that are on track to graduate are able to do that, even if they can't have their graduation ceremonies, that they're still able to be able to get their high school diploma and be ready to um, hopefully be ready to, uh, to walk into college classrooms uh, or into vocational uh, career tech programs or, or whatever it is that they're doing post-graduation, but that they're able to graduate and get a diploma. Neva. Well, I think it, it, it is interesting that when we, first of all, the meeting that took place this week, I think it is noteworthy that it was the first virtual state school board meeting in history. You had four of the, the board participating uh, on video conferencing. They were able to um, uh, facilitate the meeting. It was a unanimous vote uh, to move this direction uh, to implement the distance learning plans uh, district by district. And and we are we are in a, a kind of the same place again, talking about not only Oklahoma, but Oklahoma and the rest of the nation. Uh, all but three states have canceled face-to-face classes, uh, at least until the end of March, and most uh, closures into, into May. So uh, whether it's a school district uh, uh, like the Los Angeles Unified School District with 700,000 uh, students, equal to all of the public school students in Oklahoma's 700,000 number, uh, we're, we're going to be in a place where navigating education at home uh, with the direction of these individual school districts at the local level making those decisions uh, is is going to be a work in progress at least through this school year and and I think it is uh, I, I think it is very important that the communication again becomes so vital not only from the state you know not only from the state level pushing down but these local districts are going to have to be uh, putting in place uh, very critical communications and I think we're already seeing evidence of that in much of what uh, some of these districts are putting out very quickly in response to what took place at the board meeting this week. And the state capitol, along with everything else in Oklahoma, is closed for business. Legislative leaders announced no work would be done this week while lawmakers and staff are getting the necessary technology to work remotely. Meanwhile, at least one senator, Oklahoma City Republican Paul Rossino, and one representative, Oklahoma City Democrat Jason Lowe, have tested positive for COVID-19. Neva, do you think work will resume on Monday? Uh, I, I, I think we'll wait and see. I mean, it would appear that it would be somewhat unlikely. We don't know yet, but uh, that they would uh, resume kind of business as usual at the Capitol on Monday. I think what we're seeing is that that there is there is the ongoing business taking place. They're just doing it uh, remotely. I mean, they're able to continue to function, interact, uh, answer questions uh, with constituents, uh, and and do those things that are necessary. I think through uh, technology, uh, um, there's certainly ongoing conversations. Uh, what we hear in terms of the budget, the budget uh, process, and trying to craft something that. Uh, that I think many are hopeful in the next uh, few weeks will be uh, will be ready to uh, roll out and and uh, try to work through getting that passed and and uh, finish up 
finish up the session, but there are a lot of unknowns. I think, you know, as we've talked about last week, the, the main thing is budget will be the priority. Most other policy issues with a very few uh, other instances will be, I think, cast aside at this time. Ryan. Yeah, I think that uh, that's that's all uh, right on. And where, where we're seeing, you know, talking to folks that are at the Capitol, they're still working. Um, you know, the, uh, whether it's staffers or legislators, they're on the phone with, with other statewide officials or on the phone with, uh, federal officials. They're trying to make sure that, you know, whatever it is that, uh, that they see any deficiencies, any deficiencies that they see in response or opportunities to respond, you know, they're having those conversations. So, uh, even though they're not in the building, like Neva said, there's still a lot of work that's happening. Um, you know, I think with the with the two new positive tests of legislators, uh, we've had some, again some additional staffers test positive. Um, I, I think, like the rest of the state of Oklahoma, that population of uh, capital workers is only going to increase in the number of positive tests that we see. Um, and ultimately, when they do come back uh, to come in, probably just to pass a budget at this point, uh, and it may be a handful of trailer bills dealing with the emergency in particular. But when they come back to pass that budget we're probably looking at you know if they they'll have it all lined up uh, uh hopefully in advance and be in that building maybe three days uh worth of work and then get out and go back to their districts and and shelter in place like everyone else well and they'll have an opportunity to put some other things in place if they feel the need i mean they can they can uh they can roll out of this session, uh, go into special session, uh, basically set themselves up to be able to come back in as necessary, uh, even if it's on a, you know, on a short, short, quick basis to deal with something, uh, whether it's an, um, a budget issue. I mean, we've got a lot of things that are still big question marks that have to be dealt with, Medicaid expansion, uh, whether that, uh, whether they're going to just do a blanket expansion maybe down, you know, at some point that would, uh, you know, kind of open up for uh, addressing this testing issue uh, down the road for more Oklahomans. I mean, there's, there are a lot of issues out there, uh, but I think legislatively they have some things they can put in place that will allow them to continue to address these in a very organized, systematic fashion. And certainly there's things like the COLAs that, uh, Ryan, that, that, that a lot of retirees are st- were still hoping for this year. Yeah, and I think that you know every everything that costs money at this point, uh, you've got to assume is in trouble um, because the you know, the revenue picture at the at the state capitol was it was not great before this. You know, we were already seeing uh, as a result of um, you know declining oil revenue, declining rig counts, and uh, the attendant decline in income taxes. We were already seeing uh, a contraction in state revenue, and with COVID nineteen, that's you know, we're probably looking at a, at a real uh, precipitous drop in state revenue. And so hopefully, as the federal government responds to this in terms of, of new stimulus packages, we'll, we'll see something like we saw back in the, the, the Great Reception in 2008, some budget stabilization funding from the federal government to help bridge those gaps so that we don't really see huge cuts. But, you know, bigger investments, I think, are going to it's going to be a harder sell at the Capitol right now. And I think Neva's right. We uh, we will almost certainly see if one, if not multiple um, uh, special sessions mm-hmm. over the course of 2020 uh, and maybe, you know, well in and through the election cycle, which, you know, they're, they're called extraordinary sessions. But that would be extraordinary for them to be meeting in the in the, in the um, during an election season like this, which but they're probably going to have to. 
and then to come back, um, you know, in uh, late part of this year with a newly constituted legislature that may have to meet again even before the, the 2021 session kicks off next February. And Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.